Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to Racism Animal cruelty Human suffering Death Factual inaccuracies Several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. With Frigid Johns like this, who needed Mimicuses? I'm Sean. My biggest problem with Ferrari? The trailer hitches are too small, and they don't have a Hemi. I'm Adam. And when they found the body of Charlotte McCoy, the only clue to who had killed her was a message written in blood that said, Some pig. I'm Andy. This gives a whole new meaning to shooting the shit. I'm Kelly, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Acid Pop. Have you guys been here this whole time? I would just, I, I stepped out for a couple years, but it looked like all the equipment was still on. I've been sitting here and crying. Never oh. said stop recording. Well, good news, I'm back. Oh, good. Dad so, came back with his cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> we said we would be. It's been a little while. I know we said we were abandoning you. And we did, so I feel like we <laughs> followed through on that promise. We're people of our word. <laughs> we promise to never be back. Uh-oh. <laughs> but the world continues to be weird and gross and uh, merits some discussion. And honestly, mostly I missed my friends. <laughs> yes. For those of you who are new, I was going to have all of my friends say hi real quick and give a name. For those of you who are nude, I'm Andy. So who starts? You do. Me do? Yeah. Hello, I'm me. You do. <laughs> Hi, uh, me. This is Sean. I started this last time, but this new round is sort of uh, Kelly's project, so I'm, I'm letting her run with it. But uh, yeah, if you've never been with us before, we talk about weird, gross, disturbing things. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. We, that's what we used to do anyway, but uh, we sort of ran out of weird, gross things, so now we're going to focus more on the interesting. Except for me, I'll probably still stick to the gross. But <laughs> I, I also went with the gross. Hi, I'm Andy. I've been here this whole time. Uh, I'm older, leaner. <laughs> Call me Dr. Cool Sex. Yeah, Andy's new radio name is Dr. Cool Sex. <laughs> so I'd prefer if you referred to me like that. By his doctorate. That's great, because mine's Sool Kex. <laughs> I'm Adam. I've also been a part of this for a while. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens with this new run. And I'm Kelly. I'm here to keep this from being three white more white guys make a podcast together. <laughs> now we're four white people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> as mentioned, we're bringing back Acid Pop. There are going to be a few little twists. As Sean said, we're widening the focus a bit. We're well-rounded people, fully developed humans with lots of interests. So, I eat uh, food sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I've become, I've become very well-rounded. I think we're more educated than last time. <laughs> Probably. At least Andy is. Yeah. Adam has his degree now. I had it last time. No. Nah. Sure. You were a dummy last time. No. Oh. <laughs> I think you got it on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got his, his degree in podcasting. <laughs> Dr. Podcast. <laughs> Our mandate will sort of be the dark, the unsettling, and the unexpected. Really cool stuff we want to share with each other. Yeah. And anything that we want to talk about. Yeah. 
So uh, here's secondly, my symposium on Bluey. <laughs> <laughs> that show's great. Oreos. Are double stuffed really the best? <laughs> secondly, we're going to try for a twice monthly schedule instead of a four times a month. Expect episodes on the 14th and the 28th of each month. Yes, we're old now. We can only put out so many words before we die. I read that in the Bible. <laughs> we have more full-time jobs between the, re- the all of us than we used to. It's all right. I'm on spring break. Woo! Yeah, he just lifted his shirt. Four-year-olds take a lot more chasing than two-year-olds. And uh, last, I like three-point lists, so I put in a last just so I could say three different things. Some other third thing. <laughs> yes. Check. Leonardo, Leonardo. <laughs> Sub third. And since I'm bringing us all back together, I figured I would take the bullet and do the first episode, which appropriately is on Taking friendship. Bullets. Oh. Because I missed my friends. <laughs> <laughs> now, was this a, a big boat that crashed that was called Friend? <laughs> Not the friendship. This is actually going to be friends and rivals because mm. I secretly hate you all. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> You've been trying to outdo us for years. <laughs> That's all right. I hate me too. We have that in common. And we all hate Andy. What? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the way this is going. <laughs> no, Andy, we're exploring our new dynamic. <laughs> new dynamic? We talked about this without you. Okay. <laughs> new podcast title, Andy Sucks. A deep dive. Etymology of friend. This one's boring. <laughs> it goes back to Proto-Germanic Frojandis, wow. which means uh, friend. That doesn't sound boring at all. <laughs> I'm jaundiced. <laughs> or lover. And, uh, Ooh. Oh, hello, lover. <laughs> Things are getting intimate. I'm lucky to have Go. so many frojandists around me. <laughs> <laughs> Following it back further to the Proto-Indo-European root, it was pre-ont, which meant loving. Pre-love. <laughs> Instead of free love. The 50s and the 60s. I'm always in a state of pre-love. <laughs> I'm ready for it. That's what it, that's what Dr. Coolsex says on his business card. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in a state of pre-love. <laughs> Rival goes back to Latin. Anyone want to guess? Rivale. Sean got it. Yeah, I know what patterns are. <laughs> Which is an adversary in love or a neighbor? Fucking neighbors. Why does it have to be an adversary in love specifically? Oh, you want to make love to your neighbor? Oh, don't we all? And it goes back, interestingly, to rivis, which means brook. Um, oh, a divide? Like a river. Yeah. Oh. And the idea is two people who have to share the same resource, the same mm. stream. Oh, I see. Uh, it's so not that we them. hate rivers. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's your river and you don't want anyone else to touch it. But those motherfuckers are always babbling on. <laughs> That's a brook. I fucking hate her, too. <laughs> <laughs> Getting into our phobia, it's uh, sociophobia is the fear of socializing, essentially. Mm. Nowadays, mostly called social anxiety disorder. And uh, Sad. <laughs> there isn't one particularly for friendship or rivals. It'd be weird to be afraid of friends. <laughs> don't like me. <laughs> Can we curse on the show? I don't remember. Fuck oh. yeah. <laughs> All right. Just checking. I mean, I've listened to the bloopers. <laughs> That's different. So social anxiety is specific to, like, interactions, not people. That's a different fear. Hmm. So, like, someone with social anxiety or sociophobia wouldn't be afraid to just be in a crowd of strangers. They would be uncomfortable 
in a situation where they had to directly interact with people, like, hmm. say, friends. Uh, or if you took the person out and had a conversation with a Furby. That can be stressful. <laughs> no, no, thank you. And then I found a, a culturally bound syndrome that I thought was kind of interested and interesting and connected, which is Taijin Kyo Fusho, hmm. which is a version of uh, social anxiety disorder mostly seen in Japan and South Korea, and where sociophobia is the fear of essentially being embarrassed. Uh-huh. This one is the fear of causing embarrassment. Or oh. being embarrassing, like <laughs> making other people uncomfortable with your presence. Okay. And it's also sort of more focused on the body instead of behavior. I hope my body doesn't embarrass anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that is actually one of the forms. So there's, there's four different subtypes of this. One is the fear of blushing. Okay. <laughs> one is the fear of having a unsettling body. In some way, like your <laughs> physical presence is I'm upsetting sorry, to I'm people. I'm so lumpy. <laughs> like somebody left butter out on the counter. I'm afraid of how ugly I am. <laughs> I'm not an animal. One is called the fear of one's own glance, which is essentially you don't think people like you looking at them. And that you're going to make them uncomfortable by looking in their direction. I thought it, I thought it was the fear. Of looking in the mirror and saying Candyman three times. No, oh, that's a different sort of fear. That one's real. Oh, it is? <laughs> I think we're talking about irrational fears, Andy. <laughs> okay. And lastly, the fear of body odor. Uh, that you stink and it makes people uncomfortable. When you, when you started that, you said, this is one of the forms, which made it sound like a martial art. <laughs> 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 the stance of passing wind. I thought they were going to take like solid liquid or gaseous forms. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hearing all that, I feel like don't let this be a debilitating fear, but maybe have a little bit of that fear. Like, don't go out yeah. It's also weird because, like, I don't understand how that's embarrassing for someone else if you fart. If I fart in an elevator, I don't think, man, those people must sure be embarrassed right now. <laughs> man, you guys sure are embarrassed, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for all of you. <laughs> Anyways, I got to get going. This is my stop. <laughs> it's sort of the idea that you're letting down the group. Hmm. Like... You have to perform to a certain standard, and if you don't, everyone's going to be made Mm. to look less and feel uncomfortable. I see. All right. Moving on to our acid pop quiz. Oh, yeah. I'm I'm great at these. I won every one. Andy gives quizzes now. (laughs) (laughs) He's a professional. Let's see if he remembers what it's like to be on the other side. (laughs) I was just going to ask him to give this for me since he's (laughs) he's so good at it. Put on your little boy shorts. I'm a great proctor. We're going to start with some true or false about uh, famous friendships and rivalries. True or false, the Hatfield-McCoy rivalry is often traced back to a fight over a woman's affections. I feel like that's false. I think it was like about pigs or something. I, yeah, I wanted yeah. to say livestock. Right. That's that's my mind's at too. So I'm also going to say false. You are all correct. Yeah. yeah. Very correct. It was about a pig. <laughs> yeah. And he got it. You can't see it. I'm flexing. (laughs) Look at those knowledge muscles. This pig, apparently very desirable. Some pig. (laughs) And they took it to court. Not the pig. Pig? Each other over the pig. (laughs) Your Honor, just look at that pig. Look how attractive this pig is. (laughs) Who wouldn't want to make love to it? (laughs) It's a weird court case. (laughs) (laughs) I'll allow it. The Justice of the Peace, who was notably a Hatfield, 
Uh-oh. Found in favor of the Hatfields. <laughs> Weird. Weird. We've, inges- we've investigated ourselves and found no wrongdoing. <laughs> and notably, one friend of both families, uh, Bill Stanton, testified that it uh, was a Hatfield pig, and he was then shot by oh, the McCoys. No. <laughs> Anyone else? <laughs> there is more that went into their whole thing. The Hatfields were, were wealthier. One McCoy served in the Union, and they blamed mm-hmm. Hatfields I for never let anybody forget it. Home. I don't understand why they put that guy. They didn't put that guy in the pigless protection program. <laughs> <laughs> they probably should have shot him before he gave his testimony. That probably would have helped their case more. <laughs> also, that's an awkward position to be in, and just like. Hey, so the Hatfields say this. <laughs> also, the patriarch of the Hatfields was named Devil, which what? Uh, that's what he went by. Devil Ansi. Did he have it legally changed himself? <laughs> Made everything about this sort of interesting to read, like Patriarch Devil. <laughs> Signed the Devil. Excuse me? This character sounds untrustworthy. <laughs> I hereby remit into your care. This pig, Mr. Devil. (laughs) We rule in favor of devil. (laughs) In the case of devil versus pig. (laughs) Maybe it was DeVille. Oh. He's going to make a suit out of that pig. I feel like DeVille would be a much less fun nickname to assume. There was also some Romeo and Juliet nonsense, which is fun. Uh, There was a Hatfield who romanced and impregnated Roseanne McCoy. They were forcibly separated. And he uh, then married Nancy McCoy a year later. Apparently he was really into the McCoys. (laughs) The awkward hanging out with his niece slash daughter at that point. Then she took some ambience and some weird things in town. Lost her show. (laughs) I get it. It's a Roseanne joke. (laughs) By the time the uh, feud reached its peak, the governors of West Virginia and Kentucky were threatening to invade each other. And the Supreme Court had to get involved. (laughs) Say, it's a goddamn pig! (laughs) But they all lived happily ever after and eventually went on a family feud episode together in 1979. What? Oh, really? When did this happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, that that bickering went on for, like, better part of 100 years, I feel like. Uh, The main part of it was, like, 20. Oh, really? Yeah. That's not as old as I thought it was. Well, this was Civil War era. Well, how'd they go on Family Feud if it was Civil War era? I said they, they continued to have generations of Hatfields right. and McCoys. Yeah. And eventually those Hatfields and McCoys, the descendants of the the feuding oh, ones, went I on see. Family Feud together. So and they also, been uh, fighting in a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Richard Dawkins is eternal and he will return again to host <laughs> a feud. They played for a pig. <laughs> what? That had demeaning. True or false, Helen Keller was a particular friend of Mark Twain. I don't think anybody was a friend of Mark Twain, so I'm going to say false. <laughs> I'm going to say true because Mark Twain was a weirdo. I've never heard of that. I'll go ahead and say false. Sean, you are going to be shocked by this episode. <laughs> this is true. More or less. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know how Helen Keller could tell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she was 14 when they met, and he was in his 50s, but she considered him a mentor, and he called her the eighth wonder of the world. Huh. How very kind. <laughs> when she couldn't pay for college, Mark Twain convinced one of his friends to sponsor her. And uh, Helen Keller always said that Twain treated her as a person, not as a hmm. exhibit. 
Why the hell didn't Mark Twain pay for it his goddamn self? Yeah. He was bankrupt at the time. Oh. <laughs> he made some very poor business decisions. He didn't have that Huckleberry money. <laughs> Spent all that money on bullfrogs. Yep. So yeah, they remained friends until he died. I thought that was a sweet, huh. sweet story. True or false, Marilyn Monroe boosted Ella Fitzgerald's career, getting her a gig at a nightclub that refused to book her because she was black. This mm. sounds true. Sounds yeah, like something that could happen. I'm going to say true, too. This is false. Oh. oh. The story's a little more complicated than that. Okay. Ella Fitzgerald did face a lot of racism in her career. This is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that there weren't clubs that refused to book her. I'm sure there were. But this particular club was the Mocambo, Mo- and it had booked black singers in the past, such as Eartha Kitt. So the reason they refused to book her wasn't her race. Okay. It was because they thought she wasn't sexy enough. Oh, wow. <laughs> she was not pretty enough to be on their stage, as far Judge as they were. Judge your gams, Ella. Nope. <laughs> nope, not cutting it. Monroe had seen Fitzgerald perform at a small club and really was impressed and wanted to boost her career. So she called the owners of the club and told them to book Fitzgerald for a week. And she said she would be in the front row every night and she would bring all her friends. (laughs) How's that for sexy? (laughs) (laughs) She assured them that if she did this, the press would be all over it and they'd get a bunch of free publicity plus, you know, an excellent singer. And it worked. And Fitzgerald never had to play a small club again. It oh, totally weird. boosted her career. Wow. And the president's here, too. Who invited him? <laughs> I'm say, I, I brought JFK with me. Is that fine? <laughs> oh, God, don't tell Jackie O. <laughs> they never got super close. They were friendly with each other. But apparently uh, Fitzgerald was uncomfortable with Monroe's drug addiction. Mm. And so kind of kept her at arm's length. But she did her entire life credit her with uh, helping her get out of the bottom, not the bottom rug, but up to the star status she eventually enjoyed. Nice. For this next fill in the blank part, I'm going to give you one part of a friendship or rivalry, and you're going to give me the other half. So Tolkien was friends, J.R.R. Tolkien, author Uh. of the Lord of the Rings. What's that? (laughs) Was friends with what other writer from the time? C.S. Lewis. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard that one before. I don't know nothing about (laughs) Tolkien or books. So yes, C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. Yes, they had very many talks about Christianity and Tolkien was like, you're putting a lot of stuff in there. And he's like, I know, right? (laughs) Isn't it cool? (laughs) Have you seen this lion? He's Jesus. (laughs) Interestingly... Don't tell anyone. Actually, I changed my mind. Tell everyone. (laughs) Tolkien was the more religious of the two. And Lewis uh, credited him with, like, helping him rediscover Christianity. Oh. Was it Lost? (laughs) The TV show Lost? Yeah. That's all about Christianity if you really look at it. The polar bear? Also Jesus. (sighs) He's everywhere after all. So they were actually professors together, and they kind of designed the English curriculum for their university. Which uh, Tolkien, unsurprisingly, thought students should focus only on Old and Middle English texts, Mm. while Lewis was like, oh, you know, Chaucer's fine. Neither of them thought they should read anything made after 1832. (laughs) (laughs) Tolkien's a fun guy who created a whole world and loved to look at trees. (laughs) Apparently, he was insufferable to take a walk with because he'd find an interesting tree and just stand there. I don't know how someone so boring ever became so successful. (laughs) 
Well, apparently he credited Lewis with some of that because oh, yeah. Lewis was like, you need to write these books, not just keep inventing languages <sighs> and Nerd. really pushed him to get them done. Yeah, okay, but only if I can write about a cake for 15 pages. <laughs> <laughs> I need 13 dwarf names. Somebody find me a Norse text. <laughs> and as Andy mentioned, uh, Tolkien was a lot less impressed with uh, Lewis's work. He thought Narnia was pretty shallow, thought the inclusion of Father Christmas was silly, and uh, suspected Lewis of borrowing some of his ideas. <laughs> oh, but Tom Bombadil, that's a fucking home run. <laughs> <laughs> Great work, Tolkien. Next, Michelangelo had a rivalry with which great artist? The Shredder. (laughs) (laughs) Kang. I want to say Raphael. I'll just Donatello. I'll take Leonardo and we'll go from there. (laughs) It's got to be one of them. Leonardo is the correct turtle. (laughs) He's the leader of the group, actually. (laughs) I couldn't find, like, a genesis of this. They apparently just hated each other. (laughs) Leonardo was about 20 years older and incredibly well-regarded and established while Michelangelo was the new hot thing. They were once hired to paint dueling frescoes. Wow. At the same time? Yeah. That sounds amazing. same place. (laughs) At the same time, incredibly boring. Neither of them finished. (laughs) Started punching each other instead. I would have made David's dong bigger. Say one of them took a paintbrush to the eye and then the whole thing was shot. (laughs) Leonardo's was a super complex battle scene on horseback because he was known for being really good at painting horses. And Michelangelo's was a complicated scene of a bunch of naked guys by a river because he painted a lot of naked guys. (laughs) Because that was his thing. (laughs) Pointing in a sort of leisurely way. (laughs) Uh, do those exist anywhere? I hadn't heard of these frescoes. Naked guys? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Where are you going to find these naked guys? Hold no, because they were never finished. Uh, apparently, Michelangelo's never even really got past the sketch stages. So they have some of the sketches that he worked on for them. And then Leonardo's was covered with another fresco. That's got to suck to hire two of the best artists in the world and be like, aren't you so excited? <laughs> <laughs> Well, apparently they were kind of hoping that getting these two to both be doing something kind of in competition like that would get them to finish because they were both known for not finishing Uh. things, but it didn't work. They have actually maybe found the Leonardo fresco, but it's under another fresco Uh. by another famous artist. Uh. And they start who apparently left a message in his fresco that essentially said, you should look under this. There's something exciting. (laughs) Um, Too bad I painted all over this, guys. It was really great. This says, catch me if you can, signed Leonardo DiCaprio. (laughs) So they started to uncover it, but then art historians were like, "Uh, but also we don't want to destroy this other fresco. So they stopped and they haven't finished. I was going to say, we'll just get a very tiny knife and cut Mm -hmm. in between. (laughs) Supposedly they could, because there's like space between them. Space Uh between your beautiful fresco. (laughs) They haven't actually done it. They stopped in 2012 and have not picked the project back up. And they're not sure it's back there. There's something <laughs> back there. They think it's the lost Leonardo fresco, certainly, which is unfinished. Certainly the paint is not floating in the air. <laughs> it's a half-finished painting of Leonardo flipping off Michelangelo. <laughs> <laughs> Last one. Nikola Tesla was friends with which famous writer? Dr. Seuss? <laughs> it was C.S. Lewis. This I don't know... The time periods everybody lived in. So this may sound ridiculous. I'm going to say 
Charles Dickens. <laughs> Shakespeare. <laughs> We're actually returning to Mark Twain here. Oh. What? As I said, he had lots of friends. <laughs> and apparently he got around. Old man. <laughs> Tesla loved Twain's writing, and Twain was fascinated by technology, particularly electricity. Yeah. Tesla credited Twain's writing with getting him through a time in his 20s right before he emigrated, where he was very sick and thought he was going to die. Hmm. Um, the doctor said he probably wasn't going to make it, so he read a bunch of Mark Twain, and uh, that got him through. And that's how Mark Twain got his doctorate. This <laughs> is <laughs> so my first thought when I'm going to die. God, I need to read Huckleberry Finn again. Twain regularly visited Tesla in his lab and took part in a bunch of his experiments. Hmm. And in a Jamie Foxx-esque accident, he became. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tesla did his best to repay Twain for the healing power of his words. <laughs> oh. Twain was known to have digestive troubles, and Tesla is said to have cured his constipation by having him spend time on his earthquake machine. <laughs> <laughs> Shook all the poop out of him. Shook the shit right out of you, Twain. <laughs> Apparently, he spent a couple minutes on the machine, and it indeed acted as a laxative, and he had to <laughs> flee the machine to relieve himself. Come here, Twain. I call this the rock tumbler. <laughs> yeah, put a quarter in. All right. On to our short answer. Why did Ferruccio Lamborghini, apology to our Italian listeners, start making cars? That was against Ferrari, wasn't it? It's, it also sounds... Like, that would be something you do for Mussolini, but I also go with the Ferrari thing. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Or Fettuccini. <laughs> yeah, you guys got it. He thought Ferrari sucked. Yeah. Um, I'll show you how to make a car, <laughs> goddammit. What the stupid the car? He was originally a very successful tractor manufacturer. <laughs> <laughs> successful enough that he thought he would buy himself a nice Ferrari. Unfortunately, he thought uh, the clutch was too small. Looks like it only fit one cow back here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he decided to take it up directly with Ferrari. And Ferrari told him the clutch wasn't the problem. He just didn't know how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid farmer. It's stupido. <laughs> so Lamborghini says, fine, he's going to make a better car. <laughs> and a year later, he founded Lamborghini. Wow. And the and clutches I were huge. Gigantic <laughs> clutches. I make the Lamborghini of tractors. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, famously friends and rivals, mm -hmm. died on the same day, mm -hmm. July 4th, 1826, 50 years after the founding of the country. Who died first? The real chicken and the egg. Uh, I think it was. No, wait. I always get this backwards because I think Adams dying words was like, well, at least Jefferson's still around, but he didn't know that Jefferson <laughs> had already died. So I, I'm going to say Jefferson. I was going to say Jefferson because Mr. Feeney's already dead. <laughs> So you're both saying Jefferson first? Then I will say the other one. That is John <laughs> Whatever that other guy was. <laughs> so, yeah, Sean got it on the nose. Jefferson died around noon. Adams died about 5.30, and his last words were, Jefferson still lives. Yeah. Said, Ooh, ah, should sorry. we tell him? Ah. <laughs> yeah, he is. You, you got it, buddy. <laughs> I am aggressively not a fan of Jefferson, so I'm not going to go super into depth of these two but i wanted to uh mention that they're an excellent example of the power of forgiveness hmm. they were absolutely vicious to each other at times uh particularly hmm. during the election of the 1800s 
after which they didn't speak for 14 years. After wow. the wedgie incident. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Essentially, they both accused the other of trying to lead the country back into monarchy and ruin and everything. A mutual friend, a guy named Rush, got them talking again by saying that he'd had a dream about Adams riding Jefferson, the two making up, after which they would, they, quote, sunk into the grave nearly at the same time, (laughs) full of years and rich in the gratitude and the praises of their country. And they did. Oh, I'm, I'm surprised wow. to hear that Rush Limbaugh is also eternal. Let's <laughs> say, was that the Rush from uh, like Rush's Thunderclappers, the laxative pills? Is that the same Rush? Was he a founding father? Yeah. Well, probably. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. This is like the YYZ Rush. <laughs> Call back to our, what was that? Mercury, I think. Uh, that was those, those pills. Yeah. Uh, Thunderclappers. Was yeah. That, wasn't that antimony? <laughs> oh, maybe it was antimony. I'm promony. Good, good stuff. <laughs> In 1992, Scotsman Lorne Campbell hosted members of the McDonald clan from all over the world at his hotel as an apology for what? Apartheid. Undercooking the haggis. <laughs> he apologized for the inaccuracies in the movie Braveheart. For deposing the Burger King. <laughs> he apologized for the Campbells slaughtering the McDonald's 300 years earlier. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Was he a Highlander? (laughs) (laughs) There can be only one, John. So the McDonald's and the Campbells were longtime rivals for the usual reasons. The McDonald's were Catholics. The Campbells were Presbyterian. The McDonald's were nationalists. The Campbells supported the English crown. They stole each other's cattle. And in 1692, a group of Campbell soldiers were guests of the McDonald's. Under orders from the king, they rose up and slaughtered their hosts. Like the English and Scots. <laughs> the numbers weren't huge. They killed uh, 38 people. But it's generally considered very rude behavior by a guest. <laughs> yeah. One of the time as a dick move. <laughs> That's a higher mortality rate than most dinner parties. <laughs> More than I've got. <laughs> it remains a sore point between the two groups. It's uh, like never trust a Campbell is still <laughs> like a saying in certain areas in Scotland. You guys are still angry about that slaughter? <laughs> I hate your soup. <laughs> apparently recently in commenting on this lord this uh forgiveness dinner lord mcdonald of mcdonald <laughs> the clan chief of the right. mcdonald's i think that's just Mayor ronald was his name i think <laughs> actually his nickname is gog gog <laughs> which i thought was great said what i say is forgiven not forgotten so still sore hmm. <laughs> i guess that's kind of a an agreement that we put it behind us. All right. Now I've got a couple stories for you guys. Ooh. We're going to go back to Tesla and talk about Tesla and Edison a bit. Mm-hmm. Edison, you so prick. We're not friends. Well, they started out okay. Yeah. There's a lot of stories about these two, and many of them have very little basis in fact. Yeah. I'm going to try to stick to what is known, which mostly comes from Tesla's journals. <laughs> I, Which, say, I think I think history wanted these two to be a lot angrier at each other than they actually <laughs> yeah. were. And it may come off as uh, biased as a result, but uh, Edison was a jerk. Yeah. And Tesla was also kind of a jerk. So I feel like once you get electrocuted enough times, it's just part <laughs> of your personality. Tesla and Edison were both brilliant men in their own way. Edison was definitely the better businessman, ended up with thousands of patents to his name. 
And a lot of them were, admittedly, the results of his staff's contributions. Yeah, I was going to say, and he made at least two of those. <laughs> Way to go, team. I'm just going to put my name right here on this paper. <laughs> It'll save us all some time later. And Tesla was definitely the more innovative thinker, although sometimes too much so, uh, with the earthquake machines and the death rays and all. <laughs> the earthquake machine worked on Samuel Clements. That shook the shit right out of him. <laughs> <laughs> just need him to rename it. He did try to split the earth in half. <laughs> Both of them built on the findings of others. Yep. Edison didn't invent the light bulb and Tesla didn't invent AC current. And we had lightning long before <laughs> Tesla came around. Sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So initially, Tesla really looked up to Edison. Uh, he thought he was brilliant and he worked for him for, him for about six months. <laughs> it's not, not a great tenure. <laughs> Edison, meanwhile, considered Tesla's ideas splendid, but utterly impractical. Hmm. Oh, oh, these ideas are nice. <laughs> I can't put my name on that. I'm sorry, is this, is this a plan for a death ray? <laughs> <laughs> According to Tesla's journals, Edison offered him $50,000, more than $1 million in today's currency, if he could improve Edison's DC motors which he was convinced that Tesla couldn't do. Well, they run on Superman. <laughs> I see. Tesla succeeded and asked for his payout. My bill, sir. <laughs> and Edison said that he didn't understand American humor. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is, is Edison, where did Edison come from? Is he not American? Edison is, Tesla isn't. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And he offered him a $10 a week raise. Wow. <laughs> that will add up to 50000 over the course <laughs> of years, sir. So Tesla resigned. I mean, as you should. <laughs> yeah. The big war between Tesla and Edison is generally said to be over AC versus DC current. Mm. Um, Tesla preferred AC and sold a significant number of patents on the topic to a guy named George Westinghouse, who was also in feuds with Edison. Lots of people were in feuds with Edison. Yeah. <laughs> and Edison had a significant amount of money invested in DC current and really needed AC current to fail. Unfortunately for him, AC current is easier to transmit over long distances, so he worked to discredit. He did not, however, electrocute an ele elephant to make his point. Oh, really? There was an elephant electrocuted. He just had nothing to do with it. Who did it? I think it was a circus elephant um, who had, like, killed three or four different people. And it was that Edison's experiments had proven or argued that electrocution was a more humane to, way to kill the elephant than hanging. Which hanging is the elephant? Find a rope that's strong. <laughs> it's, it's hard to hang an elephant. It's hard to give an elephant the chair. The trap door you'd have to make is huge. Edison didn't have anything directly to do with that el electrocution, even if you could probably trace it back to him in a way. What he did do to make his point was electrocute a man. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> oh. This seems worse. <laughs> In New York, they were having some issues with hangings gone wrong, and someone wrote Edison to ask if he had any ideas for better ways to put someone to death. That seems weird. <laughs> hangings gone wrong was my favorite Fox show back in the day. <laughs> that they'd write Edison? Oh, yeah, it'd just be like today writing Bill Gates. Like, dear Bill Gates, <laughs> we're not killing people as fast as we want to. Do you have any can, ideas? Can you invent something? Well... Edison replied that AC current was the best appliance for killing someone instantaneously. <sighs> and then he set out to prove it. With the help of one of his team, a guy named Harold Brown, he tested the theory on dogs, establishing how much AC current it took to kill one. 
God damn it, Edison. Edison, just stop. <laughs> stop it. Please risk your weight here in dogs. <laughs> Brown then, with Edison's assistance, designed the first electric chair. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a great success. Okay. Oh. The first 17 seconds at 1300 volts didn't kill the guy. It's like a scene from the Green Mile. Now shuffle your feet on this carpet. <laughs> at 2000 volts, the man survived for four minutes, oh. caught fire, oh, and no. then died. <laughs> I should hope so. I feel, like, I feel like it's the fire that did the work. <laughs> He died of smoke inhalation. <laughs> so, uh, very humane. <laughs> well, yeah. Ride the lightning. Hmm. We're just going to set you, set you to gentle simmer here, and we'll be back in <laughs> ten minutes. So the big difference between Tesla and Edison, other than their approach to business, uh, with Edison being very wealthy and Tesla dying penniless, was that they experimented differently, differently and kind of drove each other crazy with it. Hmm. Edison iterated and experimented endlessly like he just built a prototype refined it built another prototype refined it and tesla worked theoretically Hmm. like he just worked it out in theory refined the theory and then did the physical design Hmm. Uh, he said of edison in his obituary for the man if he had a needle to find in a haystack he would not stop to reason where it was most likely to be but would proceed at once with the feverish diligence of a bee to examine a straw after straw until he found the object of his search nobody asked you to do this (laughs) edison it was theoretical (laughs) say can you get off the podium please we're trying to say nice things about the man who just died so that was tesla and edison not quite as dramatic as uh People sometimes like to make it out to be. Make, some, yeah. make something up. Tesla started with his ray gun, and Edison had a herd of elephants. He was talking with a cattle prod. <laughs> Fisticuffs in the street. One more story today. I thought we'd talk about Harry Houdini and Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh. So, quick refresher. Houdini, famous escape artist. Conan Doyle, author of the Sherlock Holmes novels. Uh, Harry Houdini, famous strong stomach. Until one time. (laughs) Except that one time. These two were, again, friends until they weren't. (laughs) Aren't we all? And it's worth noting that they met in the 1920s, which uh, is the age of spiritualism and seances and all that fun stuff, which uh, definitely plays into their interactions. They were also dry, so you you know that they weren't drunk while they were doing it. Say what with Houdini being a ghost and all. (laughs) We'll get into Houdini being a ghost. (laughs) Houdini was one of the world's highest paid entertainers at the time. Mm. And there were those who believed, despite his explanations and protestations, that he had real magical powers. (laughs) No, you're a wizard. (laughs) I'm not a wizard. Silence, warlock. (laughs) Just what a wizard would say. (laughs) Look, I have lockpicks. Wizard tools. His tiny (laughs) wands. And Doyle was sort of one of those who believed that Houdini was kind of more than human but he wasn't alone uh like there was an actress who asked him genuinely to conjure her a new leg after hers was amputated in a stage (laughs) accident and he was like i can't help you houdini can you poof me a leg over here (laughs) i could maybe teach your leg out to an escape a box if it got stuck in one is it trapped in a a tank of water (laughs) (laughs) with a drum roll behind it (laughs) Now, Doyle was really, really, really into spiritualism. 
particularly after the death of his son in World War I. He donated the equivalent of millions of dollars in the attempt to prove that the dead could be contacted. No. I love the spiritualist movement. (laughs) Well, he thought it was working. (laughs) Houdini actually wanted to believe in spiritualism, (laughs) but as an expert illusionist, he could see through it too easily. The two were initially friendly, and uh, even though Doyle would not drop the whole you have magical powers thing, but it got uncomfortable when Doyle's wife, who was a medium, offered Uh to contact Houdini's dead mother using automatic writing. Hmm. Uh. They had a big seance, and the Doyles thought that Houdini was very impressed. Uh. (laughs) Oh, I can tell. (laughs) That's the chortle of amazement. (laughs) There were 15 pages of writing from his mother. That was a long seance. (laughs) A lot to say. It just says, hi, Harry, over and over again. (laughs) Hi, Harry. Hi, Harry. (laughs) Well, actually, it said quite a bit, which was Houdini's complaint. Uh, He later said publicly unfortunately that he didn't think that it had been written by his mother because among other things his mother's english was terrible (laughs) (laughs) my mother didn't speak english oh in heaven they make you speak it (laughs) yeah you gotta take a class in heaven she was also illiterate so in 1924 houdini published a book that was completely focused on exposing various mediums as frauds Among his examples were the Davenport brothers, who were a pair of brothers who would be bound up in ropes and then, this one's weird, locked in a closed box full of instruments. Okay. (laughs) I'll just toss this saxophone in here. Play your way out of that. (laughs) Well, once the box was closed, music would come from the box. Wow. They're just singing. (laughs) And when they opened up the box, the brothers would still be bound, so clearly they hadn't played the instruments. They would say, that wasn't us. (laughs) Houdini actually met with one of the Davenport brothers, who showed him the trick trick knot they used to tie and untie themselves Ah. within the box. And that was one of his examples in the book, was these Davenport brothers. Two years later, Doyle published a book defending spiritualism (laughs) the magic music box (laughs) and he specifically cited the magic music box (laughs) as proof that people are able to summon spirits and uh after that they didn't hang out much (laughs) dedicated to my friend houdini the twit (laughs) slash sorcerer what kind of asshole doesn't believe in a magic box Like I said, Houdini wanted to believe in spiritualism, so he and his wife arranged a code with which to contact each other <laughs> after he died. And every year after his death, for 10 years, uh-huh. she held a seance attempting to contact him. She never got the code. And after 10 years, she gave up and said, 10 years is long enough to wait for any man. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm going to go marry Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> And that's it for my stories. Mm-hmm. Did anyone else have any stories of friendships or rivalries? <laughs> I look at pictures of animals who seem to be friends online. <laughs> I was hoping that uh, uh, Helen Keller and Mark Twain were going to be rivals. <laughs> yep. Mark Twain ram- rambles up and says, I knew how to say water a long time ago. <laughs> I can see just fine. <laughs> There were actually a couple other Twain friendships that I didn't include. He had a very eclectic group of friends. Got any notable examples? I don't remember. <laughs> That's why I wrote these two down. That's fair. I know when I was younger, I like I didn't really have much truck with 
rivalry. Like I just didn't really care that much. So if somebody wanted to start something with me, mostly I just ignored them. And it kind of takes two to rival. Yeah, it does. It, the, the, the one example that jumps to mind was uh, I was in middle school and I thought chess was really cool. And I decided to join the chess club and we had our first tournament and there was a guy from another school and sat down to play me and like basically like i just said hi how are you and then he just started telling me what an amazing chess player he was and how he'd been playing chess since he was in like second grade and won all these different awards and things for chess are you intimidated no (laughs) (laughs) but we just started to play and like he would basically take breaks from telling me how awesome he was at chess to criticize the moves that i was making (laughs) so like I would move a piece. He's like, oh, you're moving that there. Oh, that's the classic whatever game. But if you think I wouldn't know what that was, I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm just playing I chess. I don't know what you're talking about. I like then, the one that's pointy. Yeah. And so we're just playing along. And like he was literally mid-sentence telling me about some amazing chess feat that he accomplished when I got him into checkmate. <laughs> My favorite gambit is on X-Men, says Sean. <laughs> and so I just like click checkmate. And he looked down at the board looked up at me, his eyes filled with tears, and he ran from the room. And I Stop crushing people's dreams. <laughs> and I was just like, I was just playing a game of chess. You're the one acting like an asshole the I'm whole sorry, time. Sorry, Bobby Fisher. That, I was just say that boy's name was Bobby Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> so that probably could have been a rivalry, but after that I decided I didn't want to play chess in the chess club anymore and I left. Sean decided he knew everything he needed to know about chess. Yeah, as a contests suck (laughs) yeah i'm aggressively non-competitive so i can't say i've had any famous rivalries except for that one you know who (laughs) oh i don't talk about that yeah nothing nothing long term that i can think of no i I can't imagine having like a long-term rival that sounds stressful well then were none of us prepared for my what are your morals worth question (laughs) which uh i'm taking a slightly different tactic for our first episode back it's not a a dollar amount but I like dollars. (laughs) Dollar bucks. What is the most, uh, the word I'm using here is emotionally compelling animal that you would electrocute to discredit a rival? Oh, I hate this. Okay, it's a sloth. (laughs) No, you monster. (laughs) You take the most adorable and harmless animal in the world and say, look at what Tesla has done. (laughs) (laughs) What so this is to discredit a rival, you said, right? Yes. Yep. What has this rival work? done? It's gonna like, it's gonna work. Okay. I don't know why you have to decide why you have this rival. <laughs> I can't say why you're rivaling with someone. <laughs> or why electrocuting a ferret <laughs> proves them wrong. <laughs> no. This is ferret your answer, Sean? No, I'm I'm trying to think. <laughs> I'm just t- can you imagine the sloth twitching? No, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be very slow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I don't like this one. I'm gonna say like a house plant. It's like a snake plant. <laughs> I'll like a cute plant. Bear. Adam is uh, discrediting other botanists. <laughs> Look what he made me do! It's like going through the glossary of cute animals in my head. You think a pangolin scales would shoot off? No, stop this. <laughs> the context matters, like, cause I'll kill certain bugs. But the idea of killing a bug, like, spitefully to hurt someone else just feels worse. Yeah. I'll kill a spider if it's threatening me, but I won't kill a spider to make someone else sad. (laughs) Now, this is what are your morals worth, not what are your morals ain't. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I want something that there's a lot of. Like, I don't want to pick an endangered, like, you know, animal. You're not going to kill the last rhinoceros. Yeah. The first mammoth that they reverse engineer and bring back into the world, Sean will electrocute. Wildly twitching manatees. The world is full of kittens, Sean. Yeah, I, I think I no. might actually go with cat. I think cat is a pretty, it's easy to find a cat. There's lots of them about. People like cats generally. I own a car battery. <laughs> I don't think you could do it, Sean. You love cats. Uh, I bet I could do it. <laughs> no, you're not even getting paid. I'd feel bad. <laughs> but I get to make someone sad. <laughs> but I get to ruin that other person's career. I'm trying to imagine like that I really hate this person. Like, this is going to stop Trump from getting the presidency again. <laughs> My rival, Trump. <laughs> do the best rivalries. <laughs> can we... Can we- can we electrocute Trump? <laughs> Not emotionally compelling in the least. I'm sure some people would be angry. That's true. Yeah, but they started out angry. I don't know that that counts. <laughs> I suppose I could manage like a reptile. I was going to say a reptile or a bird might be your best bet. I could do a fish. <laughs> if you do a Corvid, you could see the understanding in their eyes as it happens. You know, that's sort of my thinking. Like I, I could manage something that wasn't very smart. Like, I could kill a muscle. <laughs> a jellyfish. Mr. Clam, you've been sentenced to electrocution. <laughs> clack, clack. I'm going with fish, but a cute Just fish. Just any fish. Like a puffer fish, so when you zap them, they go poof. <laughs> and then they fly around the room. <laughs> Adam, I think that leaves you. I said plant. I'm you killing a plant. plant. You're sticking with plant? I mean, I guess I could do it's like so a It's so rare that you're the best of us. <laughs> No, I, I feel bad about any of it. Even the plant, I'd still feel pretty bad about. I mean, if you do a lobster, you get to hear him scream. I mean, maybe, yeah, you could you could cook something that you're planning on eating afterwards, <laughs> I guess. Even, like, I mean, I'll, I'll electrocute, like, a, a potato plant or something. Have some baked potatoes afterwards. <laughs> Edison said it's the most humane way, so instead of, like, the, the pressure gun for the cow, just... I'll just flip a switch. I mean... I guess thinking along those lines, if I could utilize it in some way afterwards, I feel like I'd feel less bad about it. Adam uses every part of the animal. <laughs> <laughs> so like maybe always want to like eat a, a sugar glider. Some kind of like livestock, like a cow or a chicken. A very cute sheep. <laughs> no. All the feathers poof out when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll say I've seen a lot of cute cows. I haven't seen as many cute chickens. So let's say chicken. All right. I think that covers it for this episode, and I don't remember what we say at the end. Yeah, I don't either, to be honest. Uh, we say... I mean, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't really apply anymore at, at the moment. You're not in uncharted waters, but we lost the map. So. <laughs> bye! Oh, that's what I say. I say bye! Yeah. Bye. It's all coming back to her. Bye. All right. Everyone good? Yes. Yes. Am I good? I'm not ready. Okay. Only you can answer that. You can do this. Now I feel like I'm on a time limit, so I have to be ready. This is 60 minutes. Is your child going to get their butt sucked out of them by a swimming pool? Only 60 minutes can answer. The answer is yes. Okay, everyone. Give me a second. One.